The word of the Lord says this. We're going to read two verses from Psalm 78. In verse 9, the children of Ephraim being armed. Everyone say being armed. Someone say carrying bows. Not talking about bow ties or bow pasta. Talking about bow and arrows, which would basically be like carrying a gun these days. And here they are, heavily armed, carrying weaponry. And look at this, this statement here. They turned back in the day of battle. The word Ephraim literally just means double fruit, like a double portion. If you remember, the name Ephraim came from Joseph when he named his two children, Ephraim and Manasseh, when Joseph was basically the second command in the land of Egypt in the years of drought. And in the years of famine, God made Joseph to be fruitful. And so he named his son Ephraim. This is double fruit. I got more than anyone else. I've been so richly blessed. And Ephraim is one of the largest tribes. And this large tribe of the 12 tribes of Israel, they are heavily armed. They are carrying bow and arrows and swords and shields. They got it all. And in the day of battle... They turned back. These guys were absolutely prepared for the moment. But in the moment, they lost all their momentum. When the moment had arrived, they reversed their momentum, and they went the opposite direction of where they were going for their purpose. They had numbers. They had weapons. They had unity. But then they unanimously fled. They were completely all going one direction to one battle, and then poof, it all turns, and they go the opposite direction. It's a puzzling scripture when you read it. And Psalm 78 is rather sad when you read pretty much a survey of the children of Israel in the days of Moses and in the wilderness. And I'd like to read all of them to get context, but we don't have the time here today. So I want us to fast forward to verse 41. And speaking of another scene, another glimpse, a snapshot to the children of Israel. It says, yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited. Does everyone say limited? They limited the Holy One of Israel. This is simply fascinating, absolutely astounding, that the God of all power and authority, the God who is infinite, immortal, eternal, the invisible, the only wise God to whom be all glory and power and dominion, both now and forever, this God who is limitless and infinite would be limited by us. I like this statement. I heard it in a song one time. I don't remember who sang it or what the song is, but it's just a statement that has stuck with my mind. There is no limit when God is in it. And that is so powerful. It is so true that whatever the situation, there's no limit when God is in it. But these people here that we're reading about, they turned back and they limited the limitless God. They limited the Holy One of Israel. 
I want to just talk to you for the next couple moments. And I just, I feel an unction of the Holy Ghost on me. And I feel God's will to be done here today. And I want to talk to you about limiting the Holy One. Would you pray with me for just a moment? Jesus, we thank you, God, for, Lord, all that has led us to this point. Everything that transpired, Lord, all of last week that brought us into this house of worship. I do not believe this is coincidence. I don't believe this is random. I don't believe, God, that people, Lord, are here by accident. But, Lord, I believe you have divinely appointed, divinely orchestrated this service that will never happen again. This is the one and only moment we are gathered in this particular hour. And I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, not by my might and not by my power, but by your spirit, I pray, God, that you would flow freely. And someone say, in Jesus' name. If you're ready for the word of the Lord, would you clap your hands to Jesus? Limiting the Holy One. We just read these two verses, and man, we could just pause and focus on those verses for the rest of this sermon. But I want to draw our thought from these verses as we talk here about limiting the Holy One. Here they were, armed, carrying bows, turning back in the day of battle. Uh, God forbid that we find ourselves like the children of Ephraim, that God has done everything he can to help us to be fruitful in the hour of famine, that God would help us to be larger than we've ever been before and more skilled than we've ever been before and more equipped than we've ever been before and to lead us to the moment he destined us for, only to turn back in that moment. God forbid that we would arrive there in unity and only in unity flee the opposite direction. God did didn't bring us this far by faith to let us down. God brought us to this moment for the end time revival that was prophesied that in the last days, saith the Lord, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. God has brought us to an hour in a day in which all the prophets and all the elders and all the founders preceding us desired to live in. The Bible says so. When you read in Peter, and it talks about this hour of grace and this hour of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, that the angels looked into this moment and that the prophets looked diligently into this moment, wondering, is it possible, God, that you would let me live in that day? Moses and Jeremiah and Isaiah and these powerful men of God that saw visions unlike anyone else, people like Elijah and Elisha that performed more miracles than anyone else, still just kind of you know, proverbially crossed their fingers hoping that they would get to live in another hour than the hour in which they are living. A lot of us hope that, man, I wish I could have been on Mount Sinai and watching the glory of God pass by while while he hides us in the cleft of the rock. We would hope to see something like a scene from Mount Carmel where the odds are stacked against the people of God, but one man of God standing up for truth calls fire down from heaven. I would love to live in an hour and day like that. But those men that we sometimes covet or wish we could be like, they wish they could 
be you right now. They wish it could be here in 2019 before God wraps this thing up and comes back for his church. And the Bible says that the church Jesus Christ comes back for is going to be a glorious church. It's not going to be a dead church. It's not going to be a dying church. It's not going to be a compromising church. It will be a glorious church without spot, without wrinkle. Those people look to us wishing they could have the opportunity you and I have been given. And if we are not cautious, if we are not aware or careful, we will find ourselves walking into the moment everybody wished they could have walked into only to say, not today, and turn around. God forbid that happen to us. In Psalm 78, verse 41, it says that they turned back and they tempted God and they limited the Holy One of Israel. I don't know what's going through your mind right now, but I don't want the thought or the guilt of being somebody found guilty of limiting a God who knows no ends or boundaries. I don't want to fulfill the scripture that the uh, word of the Lord says, quench not the spirit. That means we have the capacity to stop what God is wanting to do. Now, don't misunderstand. God's ultimately going to get his way. God's ultimately going to accomplish what he set out to do. But it's just a matter of whether we will be involved with it or not. There's a couple things that can limit God. This is not the, the whole list, but, you know, doubt can limit God. Fear can limit God. Sin can limit God. Talking about God through you as an individual, if you have doubt, that can limit what God can do through you. If you have sin in your life, that can limit what God can do through you. Now, God is also sovereign, meaning that he can do whatever he wants. It's his sovereign right to work with someone that is full of doubt and still heal them or use them in the gifts of the Spirit. God can take someone that is filled with sin and still sovereignly intervene and use them for his glory. You see that time and time again throughout Scripture, such as the prophet Balaam. That man was not a God-fearing man. He basically just kind of prophesied to the highest bidder. But he still knew how to kind of just sensitize himself to his gift and be used in that gift. I don't want to rely on a gift and not live in God's grace. I want to make sure I walk godly and holy. Abraham, who lied about his wife, he told the rulers, that is not my wife. And basically because he was selfish and was afraid that they may be attracted to her and kill him. And so he said, well, it's just my sister, you know, no big deal. And God miraculously intervened and stopped a pagan king from taking Abraham's wife. And then the whole house of the king was completely barren in the womb. And Abraham, in that moment, he prayed for everyone in that house to be healed. God can take someone with sin and still use them. Now, that is not God encouraging any of us to live in sin. That is not God encouraging any of us to live in doubt. Matthew 13, 58 says, And Jesus did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. So God works in a, uh, in a common way. It's not meaning that we can box God in and have him figure it out. But God works in some common ways. 
You, there's just some things you can anticipate or expect. When somebody is living godly and someone is living holy and someone is prayed up and someone's pursuing the things of God, you can just pretty much expect that that person is going to be blessed. You're just pretty much going to expect that person is going to see answers to their prayers. There's just some things you can anticipate. But every once in a while, God just has a mean slider. He's got a mean curveball, and he could just throw all of us off and use a donkey and speak through a donkey. God can do anything because he's God. And that can aggravate us sometimes because, you know, you're praying and fasting. You don't see any answers to prayer. Then you got Mr. Carnal guy over here, like, calling fire down from heaven. You're like, what in the world? It aggravates us sometimes. So there's some things that can limit the Holy One in your life. My goal is to remove all limits from God so he can work through my life in a limitless fashion. Look at in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 4, 7. It says, you and I, we have this treasure. Now, if you don't treasure it, you're going to miss out on this God that is limitless. You're going to limit him if you don't value what you have. What you have, the Spirit of God is treasure inside this earthen vessel. We are jars of clay. We are unattractive. There's nothing graceful about us. But God puts treasure in this jar of clay. So the excellency of the power may be of God, not of us. We're troubled. Now look at this. We, you and I, look all around you. We are troubled on every side, but we're not distressed. We're perplexed but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We are cast down, but not destroyed. Look, no matter your situation all around you, it may feel that you have reached your capacity or you have reached your limitations because there are more of them than there are of you. And there's more adversity and confrontation and everything seems to be stacked against you. But don't forget, though everything, a host is surrounded around you. You are a jar of clay and it looks like you're going to be messed up in just a moment. But inside of this jar is a treasure. Inside of this jar is a power that those that surround me do not have. And so why these surrounding elements attack me in verse 10, it says, I will always bear about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. You're going you're gonna to always face something, my friend. But look, these, these attacks that come at you, these piercing, these arrows, It's so that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Basically, with every dart that is thrown at you, with everything that pierces through you, it, it, all this opposition that comes your way, it is so that the life of Jesus pierces through us. Every bullet hole, every arrow that smites you, every attack that comes against you, and you got a wound in an opening, it's so that the life of Jesus can become p- pouring out of your life. In verse 11, which we, we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So death worketh in us, but life in you. See, here's what's so cool. Affliction doesn't limit God. 
Opposition propels the power of God. See, affliction, see, we, we may feel scared or nervous in the moment of that affliction and opposition, but in that moment, that is what propels the action and the power of God. The greater the obstacle, the greater God makes it possible. However big it is against you, you know, how, no matter what this situation is, wherever sin abounds, grace does much more abound. However dark it is and however evil it is that comes against the house of God and the people of God, I'm telling you, God is about to show himself bigger. For greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Someone say, praise the Lord. Death in us works life in them. That's what it says in verse 12. Paul says, look, there's all this damaging attack coming my way. People putting my life on the line. People trying to kill me. People trying to rob me. And it says, and all of that going against me is working for you. All the death that I'm taking in is bringing out life in you. They're meaning to kill me, but every time they come to kill me, there's more life of Jesus flowing through me into you. This is how Paul built the church. Just like a missionary once talked about apostolic context, is that when when missionaries in dangerous countries, there's a number of them that would fight to go into more dangerous, uncharted territories because they knew wherever someone went where their life was in danger and the gospel was more restricted. That's where the miraculous would increase exponentially because your survival depends on the miraculous. See, the more attacked you are, the more you got to depend and rely on the supernatural. If you want to see the supernatural, if you want to see the gifts of the Spirit, if you want to see things that your eye has not seen and your ear has not heard, it's about going to where death is and going to where darkness is. So life can work through us. But the children of Israel, as we read here, they stopped at resistance. But we don't want to stop at resistance. We want to pursue. We don't want to fear it. We want to have faith in it. In 2 Corinthians 4.13, the same portion of Scripture, he musters up some faith and says, look, church, I'm getting attacked, but I have the same spirit of faith. I, I, I serve the same God as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I, save this, I serve the same God as Elijah and Elisha. I serve the same God as Moses, Joshua, and Caleb. I serve the same God as Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jonah. I serve the same God, and I have the same spirit and attitude of faith as they did. According as it is written, I believe, therefore have I spoken. Something must rise in us that we also believe, and therefore we speak. We go on a couple chapters later here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 19. And Paul, as he's getting ready to wind up here in this letter to the church, he said, and we're reading from the New Living Translation in this portion of Scripture. I have that on the screen in case you have a King James or a different version. And here's how Paul, it's translated here. It says, after all, you think you are so wise but you enjoy putting up with fools. You put up with it when someone enslaves you and takes everything you have and takes advantage of you, takes control of everything, and then slaps you in the face. See, 
We have put up with the enemy long enough. We have tolerated critics long enough. See, the context here is that the religious establishment was far greater than the New Testament apostolic church. They were greater in number. They were greater in finance. They were greater with political ties. They were greater with uh, properties and temples. But see, Paul says, what, what was going on with you? He's talking to this church. He says, you... You guys, get, you're, 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 getting, you're getting to this place where you're, you're tolerating, you're allowing, you're putting up with this foolish antics. You're letting these people be religious bullies telling you how you ought to live and you ought to be ashamed of being apostolic and you ought to be ashamed of being a Christian. He says, you, you, you've been giving up, you've been putting up with this for so long. And Paul says in verse 21, he goes, I'm ashamed to say that I've been too weak. If they, if they, if they were that bold to, to uh, get you to go, go that direction, I should have been the more bold to get you go the right direction. And so he says, let me talk like a fool then. Let me start, let me start speaking out loud. And so he, as he does this, we get to verse 22. And he changes some, some just this, this sharp corner here. And he says, and he starts talking about the opposition. He goes, they're Hebrews, they're Jews. So am I. They're Israelites. So am I. They're descendants of Abraham. So am I. They're servants of Christ. I know I sound like a madman, but I have served Jesus far more. I have worked harder. I've been put in prison more often. I've been whipped times without number. I have faced death again and again. Five times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. They whipped him 39 times straight. Three different occasions he was whipped, 39 straight lashings to his back. Another time he was left afloat in the, uh, the sea. It was a shipwreck, and so he was afloat at the sea. In verse 26, Paul goes on to say, I've traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers, but are not. I have worked hard and long. I've endured many sleepless nights. I've been hungry. I've been thirsty. I've gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then, besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak without feeling that weakness? Who is led astray and I do not burn with anger? Paul basically says, I take this personal. When something starts happening in the church, I put a, I got a lot of skin in the game. I care about the church. And he says, if I must boast, I would rather boast about the things that show how weak I am. He says, I have my limitations. I, ca I could only do so much. God, the Father of our Lord Jesus who is worthy of eternal praise, knows that I'm not lying. When I was in Damascus, the governor under King Aratus kept guards at the city gates to catch me. And I had to be lowered in a basket through a window in the city wall to escape from him. The purpose I read all of that, to see everything that Paul went through, you want to talk about the odds stacked against him. Everything opposed this man. Everything tried to kill him. 
everything tried to stop. And these aren't all of them. You, you read some more through the book of Acts. You read about one time when, when he was captured and, and, and he's in shackles and chains that a, a sect of the Pharisees, these religious zealots, they, 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 they went on a basically a fast. They said, we're not going to eat until he dies. And I can't remember what the number of them is off the top of my head, but a large group of them went into a fast together saying, we will not eat food until we kill this guy. That's how, how hated Paul was for spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. They, they whipped him three times with 39 lashings, five times beat with rods, left afloat to drown in the sea. This man was stripped of his clothes, robbed in perils. This man shivered, and he was hungry, and he was starving, and uh, he, was, he was stoned to death and left for dead, and they walked away as he was under a pile of rubble. All of this opposition against him. And you could read that scripture and be like, man, and he lived to write about it. Who is this? Is this like, is this like Superman? Is this, is this some like Marvel comic figure? How, how on earth does this, this man live? Is he some mutant? Is he some sort of being from another world? Paul was seemingly invincible. Nothing could stop him. A band of men going on a fast and, and people putting them in prison. You read stories like that with Peter, and yet an angel would break them loose. Paul and Silas in a prison, in their innermost chamber, locked up, and God still busts that man free. Nothing, nothing, nothing can stop the will of God. It's a matter of being a willing vessel yielded to the will of God that God can work through. Listen, look, if you are in the will of God and yielded to God, God can work through you and nothing can stop you. Nothing could put a halt to you. Paul was whipped. Paul was beat. Paul was stoned. Paul was left for dead. But time and time again, that man rose up because he was in the will of God. Paul seemed to do the impossible. Paul seemed to exceed all possibilities. He exceeded all limits. You, you draw the line, and he go further. You draw it again, he go beyond that. Why? Because Paul never limited to the will of God, to the will of Paul. Paul said, not my will, thy will be done. I gladly give my life. I gladly... Let's lift our hands for a moment. Come on, can someone call on the name of Jesus for just a moment? Jesus. Jesus. Help us to discern the will of God today. Lord, I don't want to limit you today, Jesus. I don't want to limit you today, Jesus. Lord, work through this church. Work through this church. Work through this church. Work through this church. Mm. In 1 Samuel 14, verse 4 through 16. Reading in the New Living Translation again, something that catches my attention that maybe I heard it preached before and I missed it, but just something really jumped out at me. And actually, I was just talking about someone, with someone about this the other day. And uh, I got inspired by the Action Bible. And uh, the Action Bible, if you're not familiar with it, is a, it's, a, it's basically an artist that basically depicts it in a, a comic strip. Not in a, a comic strip like joking, but just like an action comic. 
And there was this picture depicted. And so I, I began to look through the scriptures to see if this, this artist depicted it accurately, and he did. And so I want to share this, this with you in verse 4 on down. And this is the story of Jonathan with his armor bearer. And they reached the Philistine outpost. And Jonathan goes down between two rocky cliffs. And these cliffs are called Bozes and Sene. And the cliff on the north was in the front of Michmash and one on the south of Geba. And, and, and Jonathan says, let's go across to the outpost of those pagans. He says, let's, let's just, just go ahead and stroll right in front of the enemy. I ain't, I ain't scared. And so Jonathan says to his armor uh, bearer, he says, perhaps the Lord will help us. For nothing can hinder the Lord. Now, remember, we read out some people that hindered God and limited God. But Jonathan's in the right spirit. He says, there's, I, I, there's nothing that can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle, whether he has a lot of warriors or he's only got a few. And that man, his armor bearer, he's yielding. He says, do what you think is best. I will go with you completely, whatever you decide. All right, then, Jonathan told him. We're going to cross, and we're going to let them see us. I'm not going to hide. I'm not going to be a covert Christian. I'm not going to be a disguise. I'm going to be openly with my faith. I'm going to let them see me on purpose. And so when, when they do that, he, he, before they do it, he says, here's the plan. If they say to us, stay here or stay where you are or we'll kill you, then we'll stop and not go to them. But if they say, come up and fight us, then we'll go up. That will be the sign, the, that will be the Lord's sign that we, he will help us defeat them. It was almost like, like backwards thinking, saying, if they tell us to stay put or they'll kill us, then that means we're not supposed to fight. But if they say, hey, come fight us, and there's more of them and they're going to kill us, then that's the sign that God wants us to fight them. It's kind of a, a weird prayer. But he just says, I, I, I'm not afraid. I'm going to do it. God can do anything. And so in verse 11, the Philistines see them coming, and they shout, look. The Hebrews are crawling out of their holes. Then the men from the outpost shouted to Jonathan, Come on up here, and we will teach you a lesson. Come on. Climb right behind me, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, for the Lord will help us defeat them. Check this out. So they climbed up using both hands and feet. The Philistines fell before Jonathan, his armor bearer, killed those who came behind him. There was about 20 guys, and their bodies were scattered over a half acre. And then panic breaks out with the Philistine army in the camp and in the field, in the outposts, and the raiding parties. And all of a sudden, God sends an earthquake. It strikes the area. Every one of the enemies are terrified. And Saul looks out on, of Benjamin, and he sees a strange sight. The vast armies of the Philistines begin to melt away in every direction. That is a pretty cool story. But here's the thing that, that struck me. And this is what I want you to see. And if they don't put it back up there, it's fine. But it's verse, 13, verse 12 and verse 13. Was the enemy was up here on a rock, on a cliff. And so the enemy is looking down at Jonathan in the armor bearer at the base of the cliff of this rock. And he says, you know how we'll fight them? If that enemy taunts us and says, hey, come up here, we'll fight them. And the, so steep was the climb that Jonathan and the armor bearer had to put the sword in the sheath and put the shield up, and they had to use both 
hands and feet to climb up. They completely were dependent upon God not to be murdered up the climb of a rock, on the cliff of a rock. Look, if if I had an enemy climbing up a rock to me, all you got to do is get a stone, throw it down, knock him in the head, he's going to fall off and die. But these guys said, look, we serve of God who has no limitations, and I am going to be bold enough and crazy enough. I'll climb that mountain. I'll climb that garrison of the Philistines. And they climbed up there, and when they got up and squared eye to eye with the enemy, they went and whooped them. They whooped those 20 guys at that garrison, and all of a sudden, pandemic ensued, and an earthquake sent from God began to rattle the entire armies of the Philistines, and the entire enemy was defeated that day. Jonathan and his armor bearer were invincible. Nothing could stop them. Nothing. It's just like Paul. The guy was was whipped three times. The man was beat with rods five times. The man was stoned and left for dead. He was shipwrecked in a sea for a whole day and night. This man was starving. He was cold, stripped of his clothes, robbed, all this craziness, and nothing could stop him. Listen, church, when we are in the will of God, nothing can stop us. See, the only thing that stops us, the only thing that stops God is us. It's just us. We are, we're the governor on on, on that engine. We're we're the one that kind of sets the cap on God. And God says, look, if you're you're crazy enough to believe that I want to give this to you, You can climb up a mountain. You can look at the enemy the entire way. And though you see the bottom of his heel, when you get up, he's going to see the bottom of your heel. And you're going to hold that sword to your enemy. And you're going to be the victor. It's the power of not limiting God, but yielding to God and opening up to God and seeing what he can do through you. Now listen, I'm not preaching and teaching that there is you know, you can you could jump off a cliff and you can float and, you know, angels are going to bury you up. No, that's, that's suicide. That's crazy. Because Jonathan is dead. Paul is dead. Nothing could stop them. Think about all the things that came against them. And they would not die. They would not die. But then one day, when they fulfilled their purpose... God says, okay. And just one man with one sword, with Paul's head laid down on the chopping block, cut right through him and it was over. Paul died. That could be discouraging. Well, I thought we we're trying to be encouraged. You know, let's, let's do the will of God and get our head cut off. The point is not that this moment could happen. The point is, while you're in this moment, anything could happen. You're you're just a glove. I'm just a glove. That God, if we empty ourselves out, puts his hand into that glove. And as long as the hand of God is in there, nothing can stop the hand of the Lord. But one day, God's going to say, okay, my purpose is fulfilled in you. 
and he moves along, and your day of death comes. But don't wait to that day to wish you would have let God's hand in you, done something with you. I don't want to wait till my deathbed. I don't want to wait till 20 years down the road to open up my life for God to do something. Today, today you can empty that glove. You can empty this earthen vessel and let that treasure inside. And with the treasure of God inside of his church, it doesn't matter what opposition, what religious establishment comes against us. Whatever we do will prevail. Whatever we do will succeed because the will of God cannot be defeated. We go to Romans 8, last portion of Scripture, and I'm done. It's 2.55. I'm going to wrap it up here, okay? Romans chapter 8, verse 31 through 39. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, man, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what's against us. And you better believe there's going to be some things against us. Just like the Apostle Paul, things are going to fight us when we start doing the will of God. You will face opposition. But it doesn't matter if God is for us. You could try to whip me three times. You could try to beat me five times. You could try to stone me. You could try to leave me out in the sea. I'm still going to come up out of this. I'm still going to survive. He that did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Basically what this is saying, all that Jesus went through and all that Jesus did for you, how could he not come through for you. If God went through all that effort just for you, what do you do just sitting here thinking, I don't know if God can help me do it? No, God can and God will. He will help you to come through. And so who shall lay anything to charge of God's elect? It's God that justifies. Who is the person that's going to condemn? It's Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Look, Jesus is in your corner interceding for you. I got some powerful people that pray for me. I got a praying mom. I got a praying wife. I got some praying people in this church. I'm thankful for their intercession and prayer. But I got Jesus. Jesus in the corner, make an intercession for me. I'm a part of his church. I think I'm going to win. I think I'm going to come out victorious. You don't got to be afraid. Jesus is making intercession for the church. Come on, would you worship him right now? Hallelujah. 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 Woo, Jesus. And with Jesus in your corner making intercession for you. Who's going to separate you from the love of Christ? Tribulation? Distress? Persecution? No way. Famine? Don't think so. Nakedness? Peril? Sword? You don't intimidate me, devil. As it is written, I'm willing to be killed for his sake. I'll be like a sheep for the slaughter. But in all of these things, in verse 37, I am more than a conqueror through him that loved me. And not only am I a conqueror, now I am persuaded. And you can't stop a persuaded Pentecostal. You can't stop a persuaded man, woman of God that has a spiritual backbone And I pray that we would get that in us today. 
It says it doesn't matter. I'm persuaded. It ain't going to be death or life or angels, principalities, powers, things present or things to come. doesn't matter how high or how low. There ain't a creature out there that's going to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's stand together. Mm. The impossible is absolutely possible today. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or even think. Ephesians 3.20 says, according to the power that worketh in us. You got the Holy Ghost. It means you got power. You are a jar of clay. You are an earthen vessel. But see inside that earthen vessel. We may look cheap. We may not be very fancy because we walk with shamefacedness and sobriety and a spirit of modesty. And we walk that way. So we look plain to some people. We look like lame jars of clay without anything fancy on them. But I'm not worried if my external impresses anybody. Inside this plain shamefacedness vessel is a treasure. Inside of me is a power from another world. And so they think they could just pick up some sort of rock like they did with the Apostle Paul. And they think they could throw that rock at Paul and that earthen vessel shatter to pieces because it's just a pot of clay. But see, it never did shatter. They never could break Paul. They could never get Paul to crumble. They could never get him to surrender. He just came back stronger. He came back more stubborn. His forehead was like a flint. That boy, wouldn't. he would not be trifled with. He says, I'm going to keep on keeping on. You push me, I'm going to push back harder in the Holy Ghost. You fight me, I'm going to fight back in the Holy Ghost. And you, may have, you might have Satan in your corner, but I got Jesus over here making intercession. And by the way, Jesus, he watched Satan fall as lightning from heaven. My coach is better than your coach. My God's better than your God. Greater is he that is in this church than he that is in the world. I want to encourage somebody here today. I don't know who I'm talking to, but I feel led of the Holy Ghost. That God is trying to get you out of that corner. You let him pray in that corner. He's trying to get you to go and step out into the unfamiliar, to step out in the uncomfortable, because you're afraid you're going to get killed out there. You're afraid you're going to lose your life out there. You're afraid you're going to go broke out there. You're afraid that people, you're going to lose all your friends out there. Look, you're going to make it. You're going to survive. God will perform what he began you to do. Whatever he launched you out to do, just go ahead and step up and step out by faith. God is going to work through you. Can we lift our hands? Can someone lift their voice right now? Jesus. Jesus. Come on, God didn't give you the spirit of fear, church. God did not give you the spirit of fear. God did not give you intimidation. He gave you power. He gave you love. He gave you a sound mind. In the name of Jesus.